Thanks to KiwiCo for supporting Another Mother Runner. KiwiCo is redefining learning with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. There's something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. Get 30% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with code AMR at KiwiCo.com. Press House Coffee serves a roast to boast about. Discover coffees from around the world delivered right to your door in small batches for exceptional freshness. Get 20% off a Roaster's Choice subscription at PressHouseCoffee.com by using promo code AMR20 at checkout. Take a break with Dipsy. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories and guided sessions designed to turn you on and help you get in touch with yourself. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to DipsyStories.com AMR. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined by Tish Hamilton. Hello, Tish. Hi, Sarah. It's good to be here today. Yes, yes, yes. And it is a um, quite a landscape out there here in Portland. It is it is very ominous and sad and depressing. Very depressing. Let's underline very depressing. Um, these, the fires and the smoke and it's, it's real. Everything you hear on the news, it is so real. Well, I have to tell you, Sarah, I was thinking about you this morning when I went out for my run because I live on the East coast and I looked it up. I'm 2,500 miles away from you Uh and our skies here in New Jersey are gray and hazy from the fires in Portland, Oregon. So I can't even imagine how uh hard it is for you all to deal with and of course my my running question is like what do you i mean like what's it out like outside does it do you does it smell like smoke oh it smells like smoke in our house i mean really it it is i mean and what it makes me realize is i'm a person who spends as much time outdoors as i can so Mm -hmm. like you know, I make excuses to go to the compost bin and, you know, oh, I'll walk my dog around the block again. And, you know, I'll take a phone call outside and there's none of that. And I mean, it is just heavy in the air. And um, I mean, inside the house, it smells like it. Um, it, It's just, and, you know, I mean, there's, there's no exercising outdoors. There's no walking more than a block outside just wow that's real and so does it like hurt your throat it hurts for me it hurts more my eyes okay um and um yeah i mean i try to you know i read a lot of stuff and so they recommend breathing through your nose when you're outside and i mean um i don't know when our garbage and recycling will be picked up but they told us to put it. it usually gets picked up on wednesdays the day we record so last evening i took it out you know i put on a mask to take the bins and i'm talking from our back door to where I drop the bins is, I don't know, 50 steps maybe. I mean, we are not talking like a long suburban driveway. Um, And um, yeah, so I'm definitely masked up every time I step outside. Wow. Um, And so, and do you see sunlight at all? So uh, there was, gosh, two days ago, I looked up and there were just the faintest hints of little wisps of cloud and the most pale blue. It was like someone had said blue to the sky. I mean, it was barely, I was like, is that really, 
really, I'm not sure. Um, so that was very rare and it only was for about a half hour. And um, occasionally we can see a very orange sun, but typically not. Um, yeah. Yeah. And tell and, us how long has this been going on for you all? So as we record, this is Wednesday, the stay the 16th. Yes. And so for us in Portland, definitely for me, Thursday was the start of it. I mean, I ran Wednesday morning, didn't think twice about it. Um, and then Thursday morning, I was like, oh, I'll go on a bike ride. And it didn't seem like such a bad idea, but mm-hmm. by the afternoon, it would have been insanity to go out for a bike ride. And then my husband, Jack, has gotten into walking. And so I wake up Saturday morning. Oh, he'd gone on a 90-minute walk. I'm like, no, 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 no. I want you around for the long haul. Like, don't be breathing those particulates in. And so he hasn't, I'm pretty sure he hasn't walked since then. Um, so yeah, this weekend was particularly rough. I mean, just staying indoors, I think it brought back for me a lot of the sense of what it felt like when I had my fractured ankle and couldn't get out of the house. And just... There's, there's just no sense of it's going to let up. And um, so um, some you yesterday when I was like, man, this is really depressing. This really, you know, I makes me lose hope. And you're like, oh, oh, that must be bad, Sarah, if you feel that way. I, I'm seriously, I mean, this, you're possibly the most cheerful, optimistic person I know. <laughs> and so for you to say something is bad, it's like, oh dear, that means it's truly serious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, and I laugh about it and just all these communities and, you know, can the people, do the people have enough money to rebuild? They don't have insurance. Is it just going to happen all over again? I mean, I can't even kind of go there emotionally. I have to be kind of just with my family and thinking about how we are. And so, but I did have a real mood booster. My, the woman that I've recently started running with, Trisha, she texted me and was like, oh, I'm waiting in line for my time slot to go swimming. And I'm like, what? And so there is a pool. Um, Portland is in one county and, you know, the counties aren't super big. So you don't have to drive all that far to get into a different county where they have different COVID restrictions. Uh And so there is a pool that it turns out when the traffic's good, which it is these days, is a mere 20 minute drive from my house where you call the day before and make a reservation for the time slot that you want. And you show up, you tell them your name because I bought a punch card now and they just, you know, take it off my system and everybody gets in for me, get into the pool at 7.30 and at 8.15, we are out of that pool and you can only move one direction through the locker room. You can't go back in. You bring your stuff out with you to the pool deck. You exit through a different door. Um, and oh my gosh, it makes me so efficient. <laughs> Today, I was like, okay, I have less than two minutes to finish my, my 100. I'm like, I am doing this. Um, so uh, so I went swimming yesterday, met my um Trisha over there and because it's much closer to her house and then today went over by myself and oh my gosh just it gives oh it's the wind beneath my wings it's the water beneath my wings <laughs> so I'm, I'm familiar with this protocol because my daughter Nina swims on a in a, on a swim club team and yeah. we've had this protocol in place since um the end of June and it's exactly what you say you know and they go in with masks 
They mm-hmm, go yeah. in socially distance. They they you know go to their lane. They take off their mask. They swim for forty five minutes. They're out, mm-hmm. uh, and it and it's really remarkable. And and uh, and it's been a godsend for her too. To it's like mm-hmm. the one thing that she's doing outside the house. But I have to imagine for you, it just feels so good to be able to move, right? Oh my gosh! And I love the sensation of being in water and being horizontal and moving my limbs and you know synchronicity and. Oh my goodness. It just, I just, pardon the pun, but I just feel so, you know, buoyant. <laughs> and and um, it just is, uh, my mood was so much better yeah. like once I, once I found out that, you know, I got the thing booked and oh my gosh, it's the bargain of a century. They're 12 pass for residents of the district, which I am not is $50. So boy, they tack on 10 extra dollars. So a 12 pass is $60. <laughs> Honestly, Tish, if they had told me when I called, if I had, if they had said it's sixty dollars to swim once, I would have been like, "Done. When can I get there?" <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the thing, right? So, for for um, the probably many of us who are listening to this, you know, we're all sort of addicted to that endorphin high, and mm-hmm. and to not be able to have it is is hard when you're injured, mm-hmm. and then when something is sort of fundamental as the air we breathe mm-hmm. is compromising our ability. That's that's a it's, it's hard and it's a hard road. It is, and and the lack of sunshine. I am really mm-hmm. a person who likes daylight and um, just blue sky and nature. And so I get a lot of joy from just being amidst stuff like that. So to be indoors all day long is also tough on me. So um, yeah. Yeah, The the light is, I mean, even here, 2,500 miles away, the light is kind of eerie. Oh, oh, that eeriness. I I mean, please, it is so twilight zonian. And, you know, it just, I just, I'm like, wait, am I in, you know, Cormac McCarthy's The Road? This is terrible. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So we haven't even gotten to that kind of eerie. It's, um, it right now just seems like incredibly overcast, pale, whitish gray. Um, so yeah, yeah. But, um, I now have a, um, air quality index app on my phone Uh and it, it shows that Friday might be, um, looking good. So I'm holding out hope. All right. It says rains or winds are moving in to, to push out some of the yes, bad air. And, yes. And they're getting a, a little bit of a handle on some of the fires. That's great. So, That's yes. great for everybody. Good news. Yes, exactly, exactly. Hope on the horizon. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so smelling like chlorine, I have never been so happy to smell like <laughs> chlorine. <laughs> Yeah, I'm familiar with that smell when my daughter gets in the car after the after she's been in the pool like holy crow yeah exactly (laughs) is it healthy for me to be breathing this so close to you toxic (laughs) yeah yes (laughs) oh my goodness so today's show um involves a term that i had never heard before this year it is fkt which stands for fastest known time 
Um, I actually found out about from Sufferfest beer. They have a beer called that. And I'm like, what's FKT? Um, So it means, um, and we'll have some of our guests describe it a little better. It means running a determined route in, yes, you guessed it, the fastest recorded time. So we're going to talk to two gals who just nailed FKTs, including one who set a record for a woman doing the Appalachian Trail northbound. So she ran south to north. Tish and I will talk with these speedy gals after this break. Stay with us. We all know this school year will be unlike any other, whether your kids are going back to school or logging into a classroom from home. And as parents, it can be time consuming to give your kids the extra help they might need this school year. I'll be honest with you guys. I'm kind of tapped out of finding creative and new things to keep my kids busy and challenged. So I needed to call in the experts. KiwiCo is doing the legwork for me, sending us the perfect projects to keep the kids busy and engaged. Everything we need is in the box. It comes to my doorstep and the materials and instructions are easy to follow and fun to use. The best part, there's no commitment, so you can pause or cancel anytime. KiwiCo is redefining learning with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. There's something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. Get 30% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with code AMR at KiwiCo.com. That's 30% off your first month at KiwiCo.com, promo code AMR. While we can't travel internationally, thanks to Press House Coffee, we can discover great coffees from around the world. With each steaming mug, you can venture to Costa Rica, Indonesia, Mexico, Ethiopia, and beyond. Get the single-origin coffees that Press House head roaster, Powell, is most excited about, shipped within 72 hours of roasting for peak freshness. Powell purposely sources a wide variety of single-origin coffees and roasts each bean in small batches to showcase everything coffee is capable of. As you may or may not know, geography plays a key role in the flavor profiles of coffee. Come on, I live in Portland. You basically can't move here unless you know about coffee. For instance, Karuta State Peaberry hails from Tanzania. Turns out, Tanzanian peaberries are citrusy sweet with a crisp body and clean finish, making for a lively cuppa. When you open a bag of Kocheri Woreda Natural from Ethiopia, it's immediately apparent that it's the base for the Press House Blueberry Muffin Blend as a vibrant blueberry aroma fills your nostrils. It's heavenly. The current favorite single origin in our house is Ulos Batak from Indonesia, with its bright notes of blood orange and fresh herbs made more serious with hints of molasses. Like I said, Portlanders can talk about coffee. Let Press House know about your favorites, and they'll curate future selections to make sure you love each bag. Get 20% off a Roaster's Choice subscription at PressHouseCoffee.com with promo code AMR20 at checkout. That's PressHouseCoffee.com, code AMR20. PressHouseCoffee.com, code AMR20. And cheers. Up until last week, I felt pretty good about how I'd been handling everything 2020 had thrown at us. But Oregon's wildfires and resulting smoke pushed me to my edge. I needed to escape. My solution? Dipsy. Dipsy is the audio app full of short, sexy stories and guided sessions designed to turn you on and help you get in touch with yourself. The stories are relatable and immersive, so you feel like you're in the scenario of your choice. Read No Smoke-Filled Pandemic Hellscapes. And there's something for everyone, whoever and whatever you're into. Find stories about a spontaneous hookup with a hot stranger on a train, an encounter at a costume party, other kinds of masks are sexy, and even scenarios with more than one partner. You can relax. Dipsy stories are high quality, tasteful, yet still sexy, with new content added every week, so there's always something to fire you up. I also like that most Dipsy stories are 10 minutes or shorter. 
I don't have or need a lot of time to mess around. Tipsy stories get you where you need to go, whether in the mood for your partner or finished off solo. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash AMR. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to dipseastories.com slash AMR. Yes, Dipsy like the running trail in California. dipsystories.com slash AMR. Our first guest is Liz Anjos. She's a professional musician who lives here in Portland. An accomplished FKT runner and marathon runner, Liz's PR is a speedy 251, if the internet is telling me the truth. Um, Liz is on her way home um, after arriving in Maine on foot from Georgia um, after completing the AT in the second fastest time for a woman, the fastest from south to north for a woman. I am so pleased you could join us, Liz, and congratulations. Yes, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the show. I feel really honored and excited to be here. Well, you're very sweet. So Liz, I know from Instagram that you're the mom of two adorable cats (laughs) who, who from the looks of it, enjoy ringing in the new year with you and your long-term boyfriend. Oh my goodness. Yes. That is our tradition. Instead of doing like a, maybe like a Christmas or holiday photo, we um, put on party hats on our cats, Bo and Juno and, and myself and my husband, Andre, and, and we do a new year's photo every year. Um, oh, okay. they, they love it. No, they hate it. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, I, uh, it, uh, I didn't, I apologize for calling him your boyfriend instead of your husband. So, oh yeah, actually I didn't catch that, but no worries. <laughs> <laughs> Hi Liz. I'm so excited that you're here today. Cause I can't wait to ask you about your adventures, but to set the stage for us, please tell us, um, about your running evolution. So I'm pretty sure I know that you ran cross country in college. So how did you get from that point to running long distance trail runs? Yeah. Um, hi Tish. I just have to say I'm a big fan, so I'm really excited to just get to talk to you today, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, so I, I, yeah, I started running, um, as a teen when I was 14, joining cross country, it was always just for fun. Um, but then I started taking it a little more seriously in college. I actually, um, I only joined the cross country and track team in college my senior year. I didn't run the first three years because I was like, oh, I'm a music major. I have to focus on only music and do that every hour of the day. Um, but then <laughs> that, that wasn't, yeah, I uh, still found myself uh, having the itch to run and I would see the team out there practicing and think like, oh, I wish I could be out there with them. And I was like, well, this is silly. I should just join the team. And it was a small D3 school. So I was able to walk on my senior year. Um, so from then I started to run more competitively as an adult and um, just try to kind of see how um, fast I could get as an amateur runner. Um, and kind of meanwhile, through all of this, I am um, Uh, You know, I had hiked the, you know, a part of the Appalachian Trail as a kid, or Appalachian Trail, either way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And, um, and I just kind of always had that idea of hiking the entire trail floating around in my head. And then just as I became a more competitive runner and still thinking of the trail, I just thought like, oh, I wonder if I could actually combine my love of running and this lifelong dream um, into into hiking and running the entire trail. <laughs> and um, so, you know, so I am about five years ago, um, basically just picked a, 
a year to do it. I had these big ambitions of trying to run the Olympic trials qualifying time in the marathon and was going to give myself basically like another Olympic cycle to try and do that. And then I was like, well, either way, whatever happens. And, and I ended up, um, you know, getting better at the marathon and, and running a big PR of 251 earlier this year. Um, I didn't qualify for the trials, but, you know, I was still really happy with that evolution of, you know, my, um, all my, my marathon running. And, and then I just had this idea of, you know, either way, whatever happens, I, you know, I, I don't want to be just like banging my head on the table, trying to reach this goal, like, and, you know, not, you know, moving on to other things. So, um, so hiking the AT in the summer of 2020 just seemed like a nice way to like both close a chapter and begin a chapter and also just kind of do this like big epic thing. Mm, mm. So, so before we get to the details on that, so since you hold the record for a few FKTs, I'd love if you could detail what it is. On your blog, you said it's, quote, sort of like setting a record on the honor system. Yeah, I, I would say so. And I, I think the, you know, the term that I guess has been coined over the years, I don't know when they started saying this, but um, fastest known time, FKT. Yeah, that, that's kind of what it is because it's like, a, you know, um, you, there's not necessarily like an official, like, you know, Guinness world record for my local trail in Portland, <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think in the past or me, you know, in previous decades, eighties, nineties, that's like, uh, it's kind of like, well, you just kind of try to find out through your local running communities or try to figure or trip, you know, hiking, running, um, you know, what's the fastest anyone has done this trail. And, um, and then I think just like over with like, you know, the rise of the internet and just like information becoming more easily accessible. Um, there is a, now a website, fastestknowntime.com, where they, they just kind of keep like, it's kind of like a central place. Um, mm -hmm. It's user submitted, but everything is kind of verified through the site runners. But yeah, it's essentially, um, you know, you, uh, it has to be like a well-known trail, like something really specific um, like, uh, like the Wildwood Trail in Portland or the Pacific Crest Trail or just like, mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and yeah, it's, uh, um, yeah, I don't know if I'm explaining yeah, yeah, yeah. great, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so it can't just be like from this telephone pole to, <laughs> to that stop sign. It has to be something that's kind of established. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think that kind of separates it from something like Strava segments, which there are like a million Strava segments, but it's kind yes. of hard to, you know, you can do one route and cover 20 different segments, but this is a little more at least like regulated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's actually a good analogy and differentiation. So let's rewind a bit. So to prep for your Appalachian trail expedition, you ran the tour de nasty here in Portland, something I'd never heard of so can you kind of give us a, a quick synopsis of what that was some details about like the distance the elevation gains and how long it took you and I want to make sure that you brag on yourself because <laughs> because you knocked nearly two hours off the previous FKT which was set by a dude <laughs> yeah <laughs> well thank you uh, <laughs> for mentioning that <laughs> um yeah so the the tour de nasty is I that is so the Forest Park Nasties are five routes in Forest Park, which is like a big, you know, uh, trail system, uh, just like kind of right by or right in the city of Portland, really. And um, the, I, the, the lore behind the Forest Park Nasties is that 
um, local ultra runners or a local ultra runner um, basically created these routes um, for the winter season when the other, you know, the stuff in the Columbia Gorge or out on the coastal range, when everything else is too snowed in or icy to run, uh, it's, it's a way that you can, they, they basically took all the steepest, gnarliest trails. So like the fire lanes and the side trails and the, just the kind of lesser used trails because they're more difficult than the two most popular routes, the Wildwood Trail and Leif Erikson. They, mm -hmm. um, they basically just kind of made their own routes out of all these side trails. So, mm -hmm. um, so I, yeah, as a, as a project this spring to get ready for the trail, for the Appalachian Trail and to stay in shape, um, I, you know, saw that I think it was pretty early on um, when, when, you know, when COVID hit and, and I subscribed to the Fastest Known Time newsletter and I saw that um, a local runner had, you know, his big race got canceled, like a hundred mile that he was signed, miler that he signed up for. And so he decided to take on the, what I, someone coined the Torrid Dynasty, which is doing all five loops in one day. So they're, they're all something like 10 to 15 miles. And so it's, it's 67 miles total. And mm. I think about 13,000 feet of elevation gain. And, <laughs> and, the, and you don't start and finish each loop at the same trailhead. So there's actually some driving involved too, <laughs> just to get, just to like connect from one place to the other. So I, I made it this big spring project for myself to learn each route because they, it's not like a, there are just all kinds of tricky turns and stuff. And I knew if I just like went out and tried to do it one day using directions or a map, I'd just get lost. So mm -hmm. I just went out and like learned every single loop really well. Um, I kind of strategized like, you know, which uh, trailhead should I go to first? And I, uh, and just like the order of the loops, because I, I even reached out to the previous FKT holders to be like, hey, I think I'm going to do it this way. Does that sound fair? And that, that's kind of like another component of the FKT culture, like reaching out to former or current FKT or record holders to kind of like get their advice. And then it's, it's just kind of neat because you're kind of you're even though it's something you're doing yourself, you you're learning about the you know, others' experiences, mm -hmm. and it's just kind of this neat little community around it. Um, so it's collaborative, yeah. sort of a collaborative yes. thing. That's super cool. How many, so how long did that take you? Oh, man, I know, I don't, I actually don't remember off the top of my head, <laughs> but it did, I mean, I started pretty early. I think I started at maybe at four or five in the morning, maybe it was five in the morning. Uh, and I, and I finished, I think my goal was just to start early enough that I could finish before it got dark out. So I started in the dark, I was using a headlamp and flashlight. Um, but I wanted to be finished just like by dinner time. Cause you know, I like to go, you know, <laughs> it's a very reasonable goal. I like to be done with things by dinner time too. Yes. <laughs> so, so I mean, yeah, mission accomplished. I finished around like six o'clock. So <laughs> So Liz, you were talking about um, uh, the pandemic, and, and I'm curious about did it uh, did it come close to derailing your your plans to tackle the AT? Yeah, it, it definitely made me. I, so I um I had a start date planned for July 7th, which is when I did end up starting. But I for pretty much the entire spring, I was like, I don't know if this is 
going to happen. I mean, early on, um, many sections of the trail were closed and, and you know, that like they were discouraging hikers from the trail and, uh, and a lot of people, a lot of through hikers that had begun their hike in Georgia and, you know, a lot of March is, I think, the most common month that people start their hikes. So a lot of people were leaving the trail. So I, I just kind of, I mean, as with kind of everything in, in this time, I'm like, well, I'm going to keep preparing as if it's going to happen, but I have no idea if this is actually going to happen. And I, even like all the way up through the end of June, I was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, just, and, and um, by the end of June or beginning of July, uh, all of the parks and the entire trail was open, but it wasn't until July 1st that it was. And so I was even already out on the East Coast, kind of like, okay, I'm here, you know, and I, I even, you know, I, I, I got um, tested for COVID before I left Portland. I got tested and when I arrived in Tennessee, I quarantined, like I was just kind of trying to do, you know, be really careful, do everything right, and also wait for everything to just kind of, kind of have the, uh, the green light um, just based on like the information that was out there. So it was all just very up in the air and very stressful. <laughs> like, yeah, sounds like, <laughs> so it's like the, the, the theme for this, everything in this entire year is like yes. everything is uncertain and a little bit stressful. So, well, now here's something else about doing, a, you know, a, a long, um, a very long project like running the Appalachian Trail uh, and or any ultra run for that matter, is, um, you know, ultra runners often incorporate walking into, you know, it's not like you have to run every single mm -hmm. step. So I'm, um, we're curious about hearing about how you decided when to walk and when to hike on your, on your journey, especially when, since you've got this FKT in mind. Yes. So for all of my practice hikes, um, and I, I did, um, you know, I had one like two and a half day or yeah, two and a half days, uh, my first kind of like overnight experience and trying to do like big miles all in a row. And then I did another practice hike of about a week um, to kind of get a feel for how I would want to approach that. So what ended up working for me, at least in the practice sessions and, and for doing that toward a nasty and then I, I did my first ultra in December. So I guess for all of that, uh, you know, I basically would run or not, it's like jogging, you know, I'm not going fast at all, but, um, uh, but running pretty much any time that it's flat or downhill or maybe a gradual uphill and then walking most of the uphills or, or any time that the, the terrain doesn't allow for running, or at least that I'm not willing to risk running on it. Like if it's really especially rocky or rooty, it's like, well, I'm just gonna take my time in this section. So that, that was pretty much my strategy and that worked for me um, with all the, through all the preparation and I was kind of matching the pace I wanted to go. The pace I was aiming for was um, anywhere from 3.3 to 3.7 miles per hour, um, mm. which is I think like 17 minute or 18 minute miles, um, keeping in mind that it's on, you know, really difficult terrain. And then also that includes breaks at road crossings and things like that when I would meet my support crew. Um, so when it came to actually the actual thing and like uh, uh, attempting the the record on the trail, I, I was able to um, 
maintained that approach for two and a half days (laughs) 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 out of 52 days. And um, I, yeah, I got, I got shin splints really early on, um, which I am not the first person that has happened to. I know plenty of uh, previous record attempters and record holders have, have also gotten shin splints. So I ended up, I mean, I, I would say, I, I mean, long story short, if I were to guess how much walking versus running I did for this entire record attempt, I would say it was probably 98% walking. Wow. 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 All right. So now here's the other thing we need to know about. So um, your, your, your walking versus running ratio, but now I want to know your, your movement versus your sleep ratio. Yeah, so. no <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> how, much, how much were you able to sleep? Oh, so early on, I I mean, I am a a very stubborn person. (laughs) And um, I, I, even though I was reduced, I guess, to just walking, I, um, I did really, you know, I was really hanging on to that, that goal, I was hoping to either achieve the overall record of 41 days and change or the women's record of 46 days and change, which is a range of 47 to 52 miles a day. And Mm. all the way up through day 18, I had been averaging 50 miles per day with most of those days was mostly walking. So I, I, I mean, I put in a lot of 18 to 20 hour days. (gasps) Um, oh my God. Wow. <laughs> I would start at, you know, anywhere from two o'clock to four o'clock in the morning and hike until anywhere from, yeah, 10, 10 would be, 10 o'clock at night would be early. I would say more like 11 o'clock to 12 at night. I would be finishing. So, I mean, you can do the math. There's the time I have to, you know, maybe a half hour window to get ready in the morning, half hour to get, you know, to eat and get ready for bed and clean up and go to, go to bed at night. So that's like two or three hours of sleep max for those first 18 days. And so, like I said, I'm stubborn, but that really was not sustainable. And so (laughs) (laughs) clearly, um, so, so we did my um, support crew and I, we revised the goals after I was just, you know, I was really hurting and not recovering. And so I took two days of very low mileage comparatively. I did one 12 mile day, one and then the day after 26 miles and just doing everything to, you know, ice, massage, recover, eat, 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 eat. (laughs) Um, And, and then after that, I, I mean, I still continued to put in a lot of really long days, but, um, but just it, you know, I was probably averaging three to four hours of sleep through the rest of the journey versus (laughs) two to three. So like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't ideal and it wasn't, Walking the most of the time was not the plan. Uh, you know, it's like I could have just stopped. I could have just you know tried again another year. But I was like, you know what? I I reserved this summer. I put in. You know, it was it just like all the arrangements you have to make to take that much of a chunk of a time out of your regular life. I was like, no. Like I just this is what I want to do. I want to make it to Katahdin, the, the you know the final mountain in Maine. Um, so we just kept going and and did our best, revised goals and. Um, and it ended up working out. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Liz, I want to go back to one thing that you dropped into the um, answer about um, the tour de nasty. Did I hear you right when you said you did your first ultra last December? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Yeah, I am. So I, I mean, yeah, my, my background is road racing 
Um, I've, I've done about one marathon per year for, from maybe 2009 to, you know, to this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that road racing was always my thing. I knew I had the Appalachian Trail, you know, the, the hike that I've been planning for coming up. So I started just kind of like, uh, it was last summer, 2019, that I started to uh, experiment with longer distances. And I just really took to it. I, and it was just, you know, it was kind of like, I can't believe I've never tried this before because I really like this and it feels really good. So I, you know, I did some longer runs on my own. So it's not that I had only run an ultra distance one time, but mm-hmm. I entered my first ultra race this past December. It was the Hellgate uh, 100K, which is uh, un- unofficially 66.6 miles. <laughs> and that was my yeah, first and only ultra. Six, six. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. I mean, living here in Portland, I know, you know, you're so big in the running community here. So I'm just surprised that you hadn't taken to trail running more before that. I'm surprised too. Okay. Uh, after like just dis- discovering it, I think because I'm so goal oriented, I'm like, well, I'm training for road marathons, so I'm going to run on the mm-hmm. road and mm-hmm. I will incorporate trail running into my routine once every week or once every two weeks. But I think mm-hmm. be- because of being goal oriented, then I had the Appalachian Trail coming up. I was like, okay, now I am going to run trails. <laughs> like it's just, uh-huh. <laughs> but then I was like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, it opened up a whole new world to you. It did. Yeah, it feels like it's just the beginning. Yeah. So and when you were running on the AT or, or you know, doing this venture, um, you had a support crew, but did, were you doing the mileage yourself or did you have a pacer or a company? I did most of the mileage myself and I definitely started that way. I, I think the first four days was all by myself. Uh, aside from um, one um, person that was part of my support crew, um, David Horton, legendary ultra runner. And he also, um, he set a record on the AT in 1991. So he, he would come out um, just like he would uh, hike in a little bit then hike back with me to where the, the support van was. Um, but I, you know, I had reached out to a couple, you know, a few people I knew um, kind of that lived close to the trail beforehand. And I was like, oh, I hope, you know, these people can come out and run with me. Uh, you know, it's just a few people. But once word started getting out of what I was doing, and I, you know, I, I really did, we tried to be a pretty low key operation. Like I wasn't posting all over social media or anything while I was doing this, but we did have a, um, just a, a daily blog update, pretty mm-hmm. short to the point. But once once I started to kind of rebound from the shin splints a few days in, and then I, you know, I, I, and continued to put in these big 50 mile days, I think people just started to notice and then they got excited and wanted to come out and run with me. So I actually had a lot of like complete strangers, you know, people that are in, in the trail and ultra community, but they just show up at road crossings and say, Hey, would it be okay if I ran with you? It's like, yes. (laughs) And uh, so I ended up having, a lot of company and it, it was really unexpected and surprising and and just it, I felt really supported and and you know I, I wasn't sure how people would feel about me you know hiking up the trail and come you know I'm on the trail but I'm still like coming through all these communities and it's during a pandemic and you know I'm being you know very mm-hmm. careful and but I just I was like well are people gonna be just like get off the trail or are they gonna be excited and and people were excited about it and wanted mm. to help so that was really cool and did you hear from people that the trail was far less crowded this year because of the pandemic? Um, I've heard mixed things. So there, there were far 
I mean, just from being out there, there were far fewer through hikers. I, mm-hmm. um, you know, up in, in Maine through the, there's a section called the hundred mile wilderness. And someone had asked me uh, after I got out of the hundred mile wilderness, how, like, how many through hikers did you see? Were there a lot? And I was like, oh, there were so many. I saw like eight and they're like, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, what? And, and I, you know, I don't have the context of through hiking in a right, a normal year. Uh-huh. Um, so there weren't many through hikers, but I did hear from, uh, you know, from the, the ultra trail runners that would come out and, and join me. And they, they said that the, that there are just so many more people coming out and doing day hikes, just especially mm. in the more popular areas. And, um, you know, I had never been on many of these trails before, but they said the trails had are way, like they've been widened, like they're mm. becoming wider because of all the, the use that they've gotten this year, because people are, you know, they, they're, mm-hmm. they want to get out, like people need to get outside. So, um, mm-hmm. so I would say more day hikers, um, according to, you know, the people I, yeah. I talked with, but, um, but f- much fewer through hikers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so when you get, you know, I assume some of those day hikers maybe, you know, are just kind of enjoying themselves, you know, just kind of tootling along. I mean, did you ever get to kind of bottlenecks and you'd be like, ah, trying, I'm trying to go fast here. People get over on your left, you know, <laughs> that, that type of thing. Oh, uh, no, I wouldn't. I mean, really, I mean, I, I say no, because I'm just like, like, even though I completed the trail in a short amount of time, like, when you're actually out there, or if, if you would see me and the way I was moving, it was very like casual. <laughs> like, I wasn't <laughs> moving very quickly. And anytime I did see somebody and luckily like in like everything there, there were very few times that it felt bottlenecked, but I'd usually just be like, hi, how you doing? Like so have a little, like, you know, just chat as I'm, you know, going by and, uh, but it, but yeah, that was never uh, too much of an issue. <laughs> <laughs> I live actually pretty close to the Appalachian Trail here in uh, northern New Jersey, and I can attest to that. There's so <laughs> many people out day hiking, like uh, close to the parking lots. But then once you get kind of beyond the parking lot, there's not as many people. But so one another another thing we wanted to know about is on on these long days uh, when you're just moving and moving and moving, and when you're past all the people you see from close to the parking lots. Um, did you have any like? Uh, um, issues with your mind you know like occupying your mental or was it just you know trying to figure out where to put your foot uh each next step kept your mind occupied yeah i i mean i i think i mean just like psychologically it it got kind of more and more difficult as it went because i you know i when i think back to earlier in the trail i you know especially there i would hardly see anyone and in the first few days I hardly had any, like, I, I didn't have anyone with me on the trail and my phone died. So it's not like I could just turn on music or a podcast or just let that. So I, I mean, there were hour, stretches of hours and hours and hours that I'd be in my head and it, it was actually kind of good. I'd usually just, you know, I'm a musician. I, I would just kind of like make up a little, like a short repetitive melody in my head and match my, mm. I, I, not even matching my footsteps to the music. It was almost like opposite. I'd have the music in my head and then just slow it down or speed it up depending on how how fast my, my footsteps were. <laughs> and it was just kind of like, like a little game I'd play with myself. So there was that. But then toward the, the end, like even in the last few days, it's like I had come so far. I had covered so many miles. You know, it's, it's 2,193 miles. And I had already over 2,000 miles under my belt. But I think just after kind of all these, uh, the trials of readjusting goals and then uh, kind of over and over again, it 
it was, it just kind of messed with me a little bit in the sense of feeling like I was always feeling like I was constantly failing. And like, I, I know that I, you know, when, when I look back on it now, I'm like, no, of course, like, I, you know, you did this like really big thing, but in the moment I just, I, every morning I felt so apprehensive about the day and I, I'd get kind of like stressed out. And it's like every morning I'd have to just kind of like cry and get it out of my system. <laughs> and then towards the end of each day, I'd be like, oh, okay, I'm doing it. Like I'm, I'm doing it again. And then it would just kind of be this cycle of like every morning, it's like, I don't know if I can do this. Then at the end of every day, oh my gosh, I did it. But then <laughs> it, it just, I, by even the very last day, you know, it was my final day. I had 30 miles left to do, which in the context, you know, wasn't that much. And I woke up especially early, I think at two o'clock to make sure I had enough time to get um, to the summit of the final mountain before day, before, you know, so I could do it all in the daylight and not have to worry about hiking down in the dark. But um, my main support person, Warren, um, you know, he taps on the window of the van. He, sleep, he slept outside and he'd tap on the window and wake me up. And he'd say, <laughs> oh, like, it's your last day. And I was like, oh, I hope, like, I hope so. I hope I can. And he, oh. I, it's like, I couldn't let myself believe that it was actually the final day until I was like actually climbing the mountain. So but, I mean, that was a long answer to your question, but psychologically it was, I was very in my head. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's, that's after more than 2000 miles to feel that way. Well, well, we applaud you and you should feel like you did every evening. You should feel like that 24 seven these days. Oh, Liz. Thank you, so much. you did it. You did it. It's yeah. so <laughs> inspiring. It's a super cool thing you did. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, exactly. Well, enjoy the rest of your drive back here. I guess I'd say maybe don't rush back. Wait till the skies clear up a little bit. Yeah, I'm kind of taking my time. Every, I, I, th I think I heard what you said earlier about it. It might clear up this weekend and I'm you know, yeah. kind of hoping for that. And, and I hope that you, that you hang in there okay with everything. It sounds like it's oh. been really, really difficult in Portland. So You are sweet. Thank you, Liz. Well, I hope to see you around town. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Our next FK tier is Elisa Laverty, a mother of a preschool age son. Elisa is a resident of Washington State and she completed a one day FKT in the Olympia National Forest earlier this month. In addition to being a runner, Elisa is an avid cyclist and yogini. I'm so pleased to be talking with you and congratulations on your FKT. Thank you so much. Hi, Elisa. I'm, I'm thrilled to talk to you today. This is Tish. And um, to get us started, will you tell us a little bit about yourself as a runner and as an athlete? It sounds like you are pursuing a lot of active passions. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so yeah, I've been a pretty avid runner for the last seven to eight years and recently uh, picked up cycling as well. And I've been riding my gravel bike a lot. So that's been a lot of fun and really a great way to complement the running and keeping my cardio up. Um, I also love doing yoga as well. I rock climb now and then. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of like what I'm up to with the athletics. <laughs> um, that's, that's also cool, uh, including the rock climbing. Um, so uh, tell us about the FKT that you achieved. Um, to the route, the distance, the train, and also I, your motivation, because it sounds like maybe you didn't even set out just to set it when you uh, began your journey. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the Grand Loop is a 43-mile loop in the Olympic Mountains, and it starts and finishes at Deer Park. 
It has roughly 13,000 feet of elevation gain. Um, and yeah, so my motivation for doing it. So I grew up on the Olympic Peninsula over in Squim. And, you know, as a young girl, I, you know, saw those mountains every day. And so, you know, I didn't get out to hike very much when, or at all when I was growing up. And so, you know, like that dreamer mindset of like, oh, someday I'll, you know, I'm going to go out and be out in those mountains. And so even now it still feels surreal to be up high in those peaks and look down and see my hometown and be like, wow, look at me. I'm an adult and I'm out here. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, the Olympic mountains hold a very special place in my heart. And so uh, my husband, Keith, had like quite a few months ago, uh, had been talking about the Grand Loop FKT and just, you know, with all the races canceled, like all the other runners out there trying to find new goals to achieve uh, and things to accomplish in spite of um, events being canceled. He had been talking about going out and running the loop. And so that had kind of piqued my interest a little bit. And then, uh, yeah, I, I honestly haven't been running a ton this summer <laughs> and just mostly riding. I've been doing like these really long gravel rides uh, just out on forest roads actually in the Olympics. And so, you know, I'll go out and do like be out there for six or seven hours riding with some friends and, you know, there will be doing like seven, 70 to 80 mile rides with like seven to 8,000 feet of elevation gain. So still like really working my cardio and, you know, I was, going into the FKT, I was kind of nervous that, you know, this is either going to be like, this is going to work out really well, or it's going to be really stupid because I really haven't put in a ton of miles on my feet. But, you know, I, I just had to trust that I knew I'd be able to finish it no matter what. And um, I, my body knows what to do because I've, I've run ultras and, you know, I know how to just kind of stick it out. Um, but I was also inspired by, uh, the gal that had initially like just set a time, you know, she, there hadn't been any other women that had gone out after the FKT or just even run it in general. And so, um, once she kind of set a benchmark time, I, I felt inspired to go out and do it as well. So, mm. yeah. Mm. One point of clarification, gravel r biking, like, could mm -hmm. you like how that sounds to me like you're making a differentiation between mountain biking T tell us right. really quickly about what gravel biking is because i'm unfamiliar with that term of course yeah so gravel riding has kind of become like a thing lately uh so what it is it's so gravel bikes are essentially they look like a road bike uh but they're sometimes a little less aggressive you know they can have they have the drop handlebars like most mm. road bikes um but they don't have any suspension like a mountain bike and uh, they are made for climbing brutal climbs and descending <laughs> fast. And uh, so, yeah. And then of course the tires are definitely bigger than like a road bike, but smaller than a mountain bike, but they still are like pretty grippy for just like dry gravel roads. And uh, so, yeah, there's kind of like this group in the, in Kitsap County that I recently just started riding with um, and it feels like it's kind of a developing scene for, mm -hmm. for this type of riding. And honestly, people have been getting out and adventuring on their bikes for so long. And it just seems like that gravel riding has kind of become the label for this style. Mm -hmm. um, you'll see like 
guys like Anton Krupika, who's out in Colorado, he's been doing this kind of riding for a very long time now. And, um, and it just seems like it's just gaining more popularity. So it's just getting out and adventuring and going long distances on the bikes and basically going wherever you want. Like you can ride on some trails if it's not like super technical. And so you can kind of do anything with those bikes and, you know, going, for me, I've just been able to easily, you know, hop on the road. It's efficient on the roads, mm. take me to a local trail system, hop on the forest roads. So it's just kind of a do anything bike. <laughs> I'm going to just add in here, Sarah, that a gravel bike, you don't have to necessarily be um, uh, ascending and descending incredible altitude um, in Colorado. You can also ride them on rails to trails in Northern New Jersey, say <laughs> on flat surfaces. <laughs> <laughs> sort of across there's sort of in a space between a mountain bike and a road bike and and yeah. I, I have one and I love it because it's just you as as uh you're saying is you could just ride them anywhere um yeah yep. let's get back to running on your FKT I, I'm curious to ask mm -hmm. you about how much uh you ran versus hiking on your route mm, that's a great question so um, honestly, with the, the most of the climbs, uh, I just switched to a more, to a pretty aggressive power hike. I took uh, trekking poles with me. I have like these collapsible black diamond poles that are working very well for me. And honestly, I had them open. I had them the entire time in my hand. I never once broke them down. And mm -hmm. that was a game changer for me to have them. I never really received any instruction on how to use them or even really excuse me, you really watched any videos of people using them. And I just developed a style for myself that works. So uh, especially for the last major climb to the finish, the route finishes with like a three and a half mile climb with just over 4,000 feet of elevation gain, which feels very brutal <laughs> at the end of the run. And or, or, at, or at any point, it might be. <laughs> it sounds really brutal. <laughs> I have done this, this climb for a shorter loop that starts and finishes, or can start and finish from Deer Park. And it is just always gets me. I just have yet to go up this climb and feel good. So, you can't imagine anyway. why. <laughs> yeah, so, you know. serious. Ah, to be 25 again. <laughs> You have to, yeah. do you rely on any mental tricks to help you uh, pull yourself out of, you know, up this incredible climb? Well, you know, I have to say that I was definitely at my lowest point that I had been all day uh, as I was going up that climb. And I knew that I was doing really well on time. And at this point, uh, I really wasn't focusing on the women's overall time but actually the overall time, mm -hmm. um, my husband Keith and his coach Max King had gone out the day before and admittedly Keith had a pretty rough day, but he and Max still got the overall FKT by about eight to 10 minutes or so. Mm -hmm. And before I had set out, Max had, uh, he, or he just kind of mentioned to me and I thought he was joking. He's like, you should try to go after our time. And I really didn't think much of it. And then when I had gotten to the top of the last pass, there are three passes. There's Grand Pass, Cameron Pass, and Grey Wolf Pass. And I had my little Garmin inReach uh, satellite phone, and I messaged Keith at the top of Grey Wolf Pass, and I 
said, top of gray wolf pass, seven hours, 45 minutes elapsed. And when I, after I sent that to him, I was thinking, man, I feel like I'm, I'm actually moving really well. And I had been feeling really good all day. And I was really amazed, you know, the hot, when I was up in that, like the high twenties, getting into like mile 30 or so, I was just shocked at how good my legs felt. I was like, this is, this feels weird to be feeling this good this far into a run with this much elevation gain. And, and so, yeah, I really thought, you know, maybe I actually do have a shot at that overall time. And most of the way up that last big climb up into Deer Park, I, I hit the, I was probably like a mile or two. I definitely lost time. Sure. Just because I was just feeling super out of it. I got a bloody nose. I just, mm. I had to back off the pace because I was just trying to push really hard to see if I could get close. So I ended up being 34 minutes off of the overall FKT time. Mm. And uh, so anyway, yeah, I just, uh, it was, it was just crazy to come that close to it. And, um, and I feel like I could go back out and maybe run faster. So, but who knows, you never know. It was, I feel like just the stars aligned for me on that day. And I'm just really grateful that everything went well. But I guess as far as I, sorry, I didn't answer the question specifically about mental tricks. I guess just ha knowing that there were people that were tracking me and supporting me really helped so much. Like I just mm -hmm. kind of carried the words of encouragement with me throughout the day. Um, at some point I started playing music and that really helps me a lot. Um, yeah, I just, I, somebody had told me to visualize the victory. And so that was some, a mantra that I kept repeating to myself and, you know, the victory could have been anything. It's, you know, is what you want it to be, I suppose. <laughs> and for me, that was just finishing strong and, and being really proud of my time. And, and also just, you know, going into it, a, a goal that I had was that I would, I would have, I would set a high bar for other women to try to go after. So, yeah. So you talked about at one point where you, you, you're, you know, surprised by how good you feel and how strong mm -hmm. your legs feel. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you think that um, your cycling, all the cycling that you've been talking about, if that uh, plays a role in building the strength for, for your running endeavors. You know, I really believe that it did. Um, you know, earlier in the year, like late spring, early summer, I kind of burned myself out a little bit. I was, I got too caught up in going after Strava segments and mm. I was just running hard all the time. And then I was just like, this is so dumb. Why am I doing this? And I just, yeah, I just kind of felt burned out from it. And so I took a couple of weeks off of running and just mostly was focusing on the riding. I put in a lot of volume over the summer on the gravel bike and uh, yeah. And then, I just kind of felt like that was the right little reset that I needed to just not run for a little bit and not put that pressure on myself to just go out and, you know, get in a run from home or something. I felt more motivated to go out to the mountains and get in runs, which wasn't as frequent as I may have liked. Um, but still, you know, I took the opportunity when I had it and, um, yeah, honestly, like a couple, it was like a week and a half, just under two weeks before the Grand Loop, Keith and I went out and ran, did a 28 mile run. And I was, I kind of used that as like my deciding factor 
is if I, to make the decision if I was going to go out and run the grand loop. I just wanted to see how I felt and how recovered I felt after that. So I literally decided like five, six days before actually doing the grand loop that I was going, I like announced it. I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I feel, I feel really strong. Uh, my legs feel great. You know, it's just like, I've, I, I think they had enough of a break, you know, they didn't, they didn't feel tired and burned out from all the impact that I might usually put in with running. Right. right. You were both, both fresh and strong at the same time, which is a good way to be yeah. when you're going into yeah. this. Now you've and mentally like had a good reset as well. Right. You know, it's just, I felt like I had that, my mojo come back and right. you know, you never know how long it'll take for it to come back if you experience some level of burnout. Uh, but I feel like I try to be pretty in tune with what my body is feeling, what my mental health is feeling surrounding that. So, yeah. And can I ask a, um, a logistical question? Like Mm -hmm. I I realize that there's no, um, you know, kind of set body that, that, um, you know, does these FKTs so to speak, Mm -hmm. but that, um, I mean, so who was it that was like, okay, Elisa, go, and then, you know, and then clocked your time when you got back. I mean, do you have, like, like you mentioned, your, your GPS that was running, do you show that? I mean, what's the, what's the technical way that you show your FKT? Yeah, yeah. So the Garmin inReach that I was borrowing from a friend of mine, uh, that tracked it, mm-hmm. as it. So I had that GPS track that I submitted to the FKT site. Mm-hmm. I basically just used my watch. I, I, have gotten myself into the habit of not pausing it at all. So mm. I just let it run. You know, I was good about starting it and then stopping it as soon as I finished. Mm-hmm. And so then basically I shared a link to Strava and then, you know, shared, shared how long it took me, mm-hmm. um, shared pictures. So mm-hmm. it's just, there are a few things that you need to submit, but not very much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So at least you and your, you mentioned that you and your husband run together um, often and you're doing a 28 mile run together Mm -hmm. and that takes a long time. So um, uh, talk to us about how old is your son and who watches him when you guys are running together? (laughs) (laughs) So Luke is three and a half years old and that kid, he has put up with, with us through so much of just all the stroller runs and us getting in our adventures and honestly, we've had so much help from our family. Like my family is still living in Squim and I have a lot of younger siblings that are still living at home. Mm. And so Luke loves going over to their house and playing with them all day. And he's got the best aunts and uncles ever. And then Keith's Mm. side of the family has also helped quite a bit. So, and friends, you know, Mm -hmm. um, locally. So we're just so grateful uh, that we really have had a village to help us, Mm. you know, achieve our goals because everyone knows how much we really are passionate about the sport. And, you know, for Keith and I running is, is such an integral part of our lives. So uh, yeah, that's, that's how we do it is having family or switching off, you know, Keith. So I ran my FKT on a Thursday and Keith ran his on a Wednesday. So Mm. we spent the night up at, there's a campground up at Deer Park which was really nice to stay at. And so while Keith ran, I was watching Luke all day. And then the next day Keith traded off and he actually uh, went to my family's house briefly and left Luke to hang out with them just because it, it did take me a little bit longer, but still 
Keith was feeling pretty beat up from the day before and I didn't want him to have to worry about trying to chase a toddler all over the place. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the question. Which one of you had the tougher thing to running and then taking care of Luke or or taking care of Luke while you keep trying right. to keep your legs up? Um, did right. you guys how did you Active decide recovery? <laughs> yes. Right. Active recovery for him and then you know, usually I like to do, like in general, before races, like the day before a race, I'll do like a two to three mile, like shakeout run. And mm -hmm. I didn't end up running at all, but I was, I was just walking around a lot with Luke and that was really fun. There, mm -hmm. there's like a lot to see up there and you are up in the mountains at this campground. Mm -hmm. So it's really beautiful. And, and Luke was just having a great time and it felt so special to be able to really savor that time with, my kiddo because I knew I'd be missing him so much <laughs> the next day, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So do you have any um, must have pieces of equipment on the trail? You mentioned the black diamond um, trekking poles. Are there other things? Oh, that is a great question. Uh, let's see. Well, I really love my uh, vapor. How Nathan hydration pack. Oh, uh, nice. I've had that since I was pregnant actually. And What's interesting is though, obviously I was a different size while I was pregnant and then, you know, going through that shift postpartum and now I'm smaller than I was then. Mm -hmm. I think what I love so much about this pack is just how many adjustable straps it has mm. on it. Mm -hmm. So that has been really nice that I don't have to have multiple sizes of a pack for whatever mm -hmm. changes my body ex has experienced over the last four years, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that. Yeah, that is definitely a great gear option that I've uh, that I have. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was very warm out there, but I still I like to bring like a jacket just in case. You never know. Mm -hmm. um, so the Wazelle Vim jacket. I was mm -hmm. just telling a friend yesterday. It has definitely been like my favorite um, outdoor piece of gear uh, or like apparel to have mm -hmm. with me. Mm -hmm. I pretty much take it on any mountain run. It's just a must. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so that, yeah, that's a favorite item of mine. Nice. And then, yeah, yeah, those are pretty much the two major, <laughs> major items along with the trekking poles for when they're needed with routes like this. So, Alisa, um, a, a lot of our listeners are, are really missing um, running races during mm -hmm. this pandemic. And um, I don't know that, I don't know how many of our listeners are going to consider pursuing an FKT, but, but how would you, like, what advice would you give to listeners who, who are like missing their racing mojo? Mm, that is such a good question. Uh, you know, that's been something that I've been struggling with trying to, to fill or replace. And so, yeah, the FKT did help a little, you know, um, but I, I think I, it was Killian Journey that had made a post recently that I thought was really, it, re, it was really spot on with how, you know, a lot of times with FKTs, there are most oftentimes runners that feel like or think that maybe they wouldn't be able to go and compete against something like that. Uh, but there's always, you can call it like your, my fastest known time. You know, you can still go out and even find like Strava segments or something that you can feel like you can compete with or, or against, I guess. And, and just, it'll just be for yourself though, you know, and, and might not fully replace just that, 
experience of going out and racing because that feels pretty tough to replicate right now. Mm -hmm. Um, but at least just getting out there and challenging yourself and doing something maybe that you wouldn't have done otherwise, you know, finding an, like building an epic route for yourself. Um, if, if it's possible, you know, um, depending on where you're located, um, but just, just trying to find, think outside the box a little bit and find new challenges that, yeah, maybe you wouldn't have otherwise gone after if we wouldn't have had this situation that we're in now. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like redefining, redefining mm-hmm. what epic is, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So before I let you go, I just have to ask, how do you get such amazing photos on your run? I mean, your Instagram feed looks oh. like a, like a travel log it is oh my so, gosh i mean do you have a drone you're so kind you have a no. drone that follows you i mean you get no, you get no. these awesome photos of yourself running there like do you like run ahead perch your phone set it for timer and then like hustle i, I mean tell us how you do it yeah yeah so you know sometimes i am running with somebody and you know for a lot of runs i i don't run with someone and so yeah it's really quite funny i should well it might be kind of hard to take a picture of my phone in action. <laughs> I, I'll prop it up with rocks and stuff yeah, <laughs> or like other like sticks or pieces of wood, you know, just kind of propping it up. I set it on like a 10 second timer and I discovered, even though it's easier to kind of get an idea of like how, how much time you have left, I usually just count down as soon as I hit the, the shutter button uh-huh. and then go Run and then just try to look natural and smile as I'm going by. <laughs> and sometimes it takes a couple of times to get it, but I've noticed that if you to get better pictures, don't use the selfie camera for self time shots. Oh. Always use the external camera because it'll get get better lighting and and it tends. I've noticed that if you use the selfie camera, it tends to overexpose the light mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's kind of like my little little tip on that. Well, well I, I have to say anybody who goes to look at your Instagram has to also make sure to watch the video of Luke dancing. Oh, yes. <laughs> I know. It's oh, yes. the most <laughs> adorable thing I have ever seen. Oh, the, the oh, toast it's... dance. Oh, my God. The toast dance. Yeah, it was so sweet. I was, I was kind of having a rough morning and we went out to our favorite little bakery here on Bainbridge Island and uh, I said, hey, Luke, do a little dance. And he just hopped up and did that. <laughs> it was so <laughs> awesome. Day. Day. I'm so glad you both enjoyed that as well. Oh, yes. yes. He is just such a light. He has been, you know, having a toddler isn't always easy, but seriously, he he's just brought so much light and joy into our lives. It's just amazing. Oh, and it, and it shines through in the pictures too. I mean, it just, I mean... It oh, makes me you. grit my teeth. Something powerful when I look at pictures oh. of him and the two of you. He's your he's your little clone. He's adorable. So, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you, Elisa, and keep enjoying all your adventures up there in the beautiful um, Olympia uh, forest. Thank you so much. It was great talking to both of you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. So, Sarah, do you feel inspired to go out on a on a long trail run now? Oh man, I want to get a gravel bike. That's what I want to do. Um, and go, oh, they're, I mean, they're, they are really fun. I, I have one and they, I mean, they really truly are great for going on like rail to trail, like bumpy trails that you wouldn't want to ride a road oh. bike because it would pop your tire, but you can just go right over it. It's really fun. 
Oh yeah. And oh my gosh. I mean, seriously, Elisa's Instagram and Liz's, they're both just full of one gorgeous shot after another, but the, the mountains and the, the trees and the vegetation in Elisa's, it's just, it's just, um, I don't know. I've, I've been, <laughs> I've been looking at it a lot these past few days to see, to remind myself that natural beauty and, and blue skies do exist somewhere. Yeah. 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 I, I find it inspiring. And, and, you know, we can just go out for day hikes when you're, when your sky's clear, of course, and, yes. and appreciate that. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I will all the more so. Yes. All right. Well, the love the run you're with junior, I have mentioned it before on the podcast registration opened this week. Um, you definitely want to get your kids in on it. It is a seven-week training program with a culminating event. We don't want to call it a race. Um, kid gets a bib and a medal, a wooden medal, trying to be a little more um, environmentally conscious. Um, the, there are workouts for every day. They're varied from running to dancing, scavenger hunts, stretches. The, they run the gamut. Um, the program starts on September 28, um, culminates um, in mid-November, and we're deeming it a substitute for Zoom PE classes, recommended for kids ages four to 12, but um, you know that can be open to interpretation depending on your kid. So to find all the details and to register, go to trainlikeamother.club. That's trainlikeamother.club. And um, in our little hamburger menu in the top left, click on virtual races and you'll find it all there. Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. 